Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you give us opportunity and the privilege and the joy of being together in worship in different facets and different ways, whether we're in a residential area uh, gathered with the group, whether we're in this building or whether we're at home. Uh, we thank you for all of those who are listening and are part of this worship. And I just pray that your spirit, your, your love is enveloping each and every one this day. They're feeling that. They're sensing that. They understand it, that, that you are, you're everywhere and your presence is not confined in a building. And, and your love is, is not a love that's confined with just in one ministry. It's, it's around us. And we thank you for your powerful grace. And more importantly, we thank you that you are our father, you're our friend, uh, you are our provider, you are our caregiver, you are the one who instructs us and corrects us and puts us back in the right direction. We want to say we love you. We love you, Dad. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and sing. Also, 
our lives freely offered in the gratitude for all you have done for us. Use them both in this place and wherever you might take us. Amen.
That song is a reminder that God has a greater plan beyond what we can envision and what we can even imagine. And that even though sometimes sourness happens in our life, the unexpected occurs, or the difficulty hits us directly in the face, we know that God has something beyond what we could ever see. But our faith helps us to hold on to belief that we're not done in when something difficult happens. And so this message is entitled, Success in Spite of Adversity. Today I want to begin kind of talking about five different characters in Scripture. And for the next five Sundays is going to be a different character, a different person. Today I want to speak about Joseph. Next Sunday I'm going to speak about the woman of the whale. Even though it's Mother's Day, I'll plan to speak on that. I don't normally do a traditional Mother's Day message, and so uh, I always try to speak to each and every one present. And so today we're speaking of Joseph. Joseph has to be one of the greatest success stories of all of history, and yet he was born in such a rather dysfunctional family that in the land of Canaan, he became a success not in his own hometown land, but in a distant land of the land of Egypt. He arose from the obscurity to sit as the second seat to the powerful seat of the entire Egyptian kingdom. As the designated representative of Pharaoh, it was he who was in charge of all of the economic strategy for that land of Egypt at the time when they were facing great difficulty and extreme famine. But my question is, in looking at Joseph, was Joseph ever a real representative of Pharaoh in Egypt? I would say not. The appearance was that he was there. His work was doing the ambassadorship. His character and his demeanor was all for the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But God had something greater beyond what Joseph could ever see and could ever imagine even when Joseph may have looked to God and said, God, why, why, why? This is not fair. I didn't ask for it, and I don't believe I should be here. But he never doubted God's work. And here he was where God wanted him to be that would actually be the salvation of the entire people of Egypt as well as the land of Canaan. And so he was successful in managing all of those economic affairs of the Egyptian kingdom that brought great honor to Pharaoh in a worldly standpoint, but the greatest honor to Jehovah God in a global universe standpoint. 
And yet it was great blessing that he gave his own Hebrew people because of the position of where he was at. And if you can imagine some reporter from the Egyptian times coming to interview Joseph, wouldn't you think that he would find himself very surprised at what he learned of this second-in-command leader of Egypt? He must have been surprised to learn that Joseph was not born in Egypt. When he questioned Joseph further, he must have been shocked at the revelation that Joseph was in Egypt because he was sold as a slave by his own Hebrew brothers in Canaan. Can you imagine how shocked that reporter would be as he discovers that Joseph had actually spent some time in prison because he was falsely accused of sexually molesting a a Potiphar's wife? In spite of all of the unfortunate turns that Joseph had in his life, here he is now sitting at the seat of power, second only to Pharaoh himself. And in Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 through 13, as well as Genesis chapter 50, verse 15 through 21, helps us to understand kind of the end result of the story and how God worked all those things, what others may have meant for evil, God meant it for good. So what can we learn about success from the experiences of Joseph? So what can we learn about success from the experiences of Joseph? In Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 through 13, It says this, now kind of picking up in the story, I'll give it its context as we go through. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, and the one you sold. And he says, come near to me. I am your brother. I am the one that you have sold into slavery. Okay, I'm the one that you got rid of. I am the one that you selfishly was focused on you and you wanted to dismiss me. I am that one who you are standing before this day. And now don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me and for me being here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve your life. He said, I'm here today, and in a sense, in a loose understanding of the term, I am your salvation today. You are going to live and not die. Even though the world behind me would cheer me on in the largest stadium, with you before me in the center of the stadium, with no defense and no armor and no weapon." And I could have my own weapon, my own shield, and the sharpest sword. And everyone in the stadium would cheer me on to get rid of you because of what you did to me by selling me into slavery. But I stand here today not to incite anger. I stand before you today. I am the one you're standing before whom you tried to get rid of. But I'm I'm standing before you with a passionate love that I am grateful 
that God brought my family back into my life and now I have the opportunity to provide you, loosely saying, provide you salvation. That's what's happening to Joseph and his brothers. Joseph is reminding them, what you may have meant for evil, God meant for the glorious good. And so can you imagine not only a reporter being shocked if they were able to interview Joseph, but can you imagine the shock that was on all the brothers' faces as they stood there before Joseph? And then he says, for the famine, in verse 6, for the famine has been in the land for two years, and there are going to be five more years of this famine. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant. The remnants are so important in Hebrew life. The remnant is so important in today's life. And he says, I sent you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by great deliverance. How do we live today? It is because of the deliverance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here. Surprise, 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 as Gomer Pyle says. He says, surprise, it is not you who brought me here. I cannot be angry at you. I cannot want to hear the crowd cheer me on to kill you. I do not want to think of harm or evil coming to your life. He says, therefore, it is not you who sent me, in verse 8, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh. He's made me a person who has mentored the greatest leader in a kingdom that exists today that has the power to wipe out any other kingdom. And I am the mentor and the father of that leader, Lord of his entire household. I go into his household and I am ruler over all the land of Egypt. Return quickly to my father. Go tell daddy and say to him, this is your son, Joseph. God has made me Lord over all of Egypt. Pack up your bags. Bring the best donkey. Bring whatever you have, Dad. Come down to me without delay, and you can settle in the land of Goshen and be near me. Your children, your grandchildren, your sheep, your cattle, and all you have. There I will sustain you, for there will be five more years of famine. Otherwise, you and your household and everything you have will become desolate. He says, if you don't come, Dad, if you don't bring what you got, you're going to die. It's your choice. Accept today. It's except for your life today. Do you want salvation or do you want eternal condemnation? Do you want death? Look, your eyes and my brother Benjamin's eyes can see that it is I, Joseph, who am speaking to you. Tell my father all about my glory in Egypt and about all that you have seen and bring my father here quickly. Then Joseph threw his arms around Benjamin and he wept. And Benjamin wept on his shoulder. 
Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. What a beautiful scene. And we want to say to Joseph, no, Joseph, no, 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 no. You've got to do something to get even here. You've got to do something to let them know that their actions were wrong. You've got to do at least one thing that will put them in their place and where you can say, gotcha. <laughs> but Joseph's not that way. You know why? Because his character would not allow it. Because God was intervening inside the character of Joseph. That God was turning things around on the inside of Joseph all those years, and Joseph was being prepared to provide life for a remnant, a remnant of people who would serve God from that day forward and would honor him from that day forward. We tend to blame our failures on some unfortunate instances that occur in our life some injustices that we have experienced. But when you consider carefully the life of Joseph, you begin to appreciate the adversities from a totally different perspective. Joseph might have never been where he was nor achieved what he had achieved if it had not been for the adversities that he had suffered. And so there was jealousy among the brothers because they thought that Joseph was dad's favorite. There was animosity between the brothers and Joseph because the brothers could not seem to accept the fact that Joseph stood out a little bit more in character and in his appreciation of all that he had in life. The brothers tried to get rid of him by throwing him in a pit and had a little mercy on him. Reuben had a little mercy and said, let's don't kill him, let's sell him. And the Midianites come by and they picked up Joseph and they took him as a slave. They bought him as a slave and one thing led to another and he finds himself now in the land of Egypt. And there in Egypt, he rises to power because of God's anointing in his life because God was orchestrating all the events of his life to turn out for the good over and against the, the evil in his life. So there are two primary truths about adversity that I want to speak with you about. And you're thinking, man, do two truths. That means I get to go to the dinner table early. All right. But two truths about adversity that we want to look at. Number one. And think about this. Think about the character of Joseph. You got to see the character of who Joseph is all throughout these scriptures. And we'll see in just a moment in, in chapter 50 as well. Character is developed in adversity and it is essential for a successful life. You're saying, wow, you mean, you mean to tell me that I cannot be successful without adversity? I'm here to say that's, what's, that's what I'm saying. yes. So you're not going to have it easy in life. It's not going to be a cream puff pie. It's not going to always be strawberry pie from Shoney's tip top, which, which the beautiful whipped cream. It's not going to always be the gallon of ice cream that no one sees you eat. It's not going to always be smooth and easy. Adversity must occur. 
so that our eyes will be taken off ourself, so that our eyes and our heart will be placed on God, that our faith and trust is no longer in our abilities, but our faith and trust is in the abilities and the comprehensiveness of God taking what looks like evil and turning it out to good. That's the God we serve. And so when next time you're going through difficulty, instead of saying, God, why, what did I do to deserve this crap in my life? Excuse the expression. What did I, des- what did I do to deserve this hardship in my life? Maybe it will be, God, okay, you're a Lord over this difficulty of my life. Lord, you're over everything of my life. Even though I do not like this adversity, and I can say I would like to end very quickly, I'm going to look at it a different way. God, you're up to something in my life. You're improving something in my life. You're doing something to my character as long as I'm in tune with yours and my desire stays with your desire. Therefore, you're doing something. I'm excited. Even though I'm not excited what I'm going through, I'm excited for the outcome because you're going to bring success in my life. That's Joseph. Joseph, You'll never find where Joseph lifts his hand to God and says, "Mm, never. You will not see Joseph on his knees in a pity party. Why me, Lord? Why me? You know, what have I ever done to deserve this? Sounds like a song, doesn't it? You know, know, why, why should I get this when I've done everything purely possible in godliness and righteousness for you. You know, he got a bum deal. He got a raw deal. He got a bad rap. And so character is developed in adversity, and it is essential for a successful life. Our generation has rediscovered the relationship between character and success. We went through a period of time when success was almost totally related to our personality and the techniques and skills that we have. But you'll see throughout their generation of time already that studies indicate that we overlooked an important element of success, and it's the essential relationship that is between character and success. Character becomes the basic foundation of success. Now, just take the sports industry for just a moment. There have been a lot of football, baseball, NBA, basketball, hockey, soccer. There's been a lot of sports uh, heroes in our life. But they could be at the top of their game and have the sorriest character, and we do not see them as successful. But when the character catches up to the talent, then they're at a place where we say, They are our heroes. Character is finally seen as the epitome of great success. Now, not the character we develop, but the character that God begins to infiltrate from who he is. It's the DNA retransplant, and it's the remake up of the inside of us spiritually, as we talked about in Sunday school, spiritually aligning us with God's desires. And that's all this adversity helped Joseph to be aligned with God wanted Joseph to be and wanted him to become and then wanted him to do. 
Joseph provides us with that notable example when he found himself in the house of Potiphar, the most powerful Egyptian leader, his true character was revealed. So there were three people, three people. You see that? One, two, three, four. There's three people in power here. Pharaoh, Potiphar, Joseph, and God. And so not necessarily in priority order there. Just leaving, trying to give you the four ideas, four characters involved. And so it happened, here was Joseph in Pharaoh's house overseeing everything. Everything that Joseph had, full reigns of everything of of Pharaoh except one. And Potiphar's wife approached Joseph. Joseph was an attractive guy. We know that from from previous looking at the very beginning of, of Genesis. And even the brothers were jealous of his looks, his handsomeness. And so it was an appeal to Potiphar's wife. And so Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph. Joseph was not attracted to her. And so she made a pass at some, in some form or fashion, not going into great detail, but made a pass at Joseph. Joseph rebuffed every approach of Potiphar's wife. She offered herself to him, but his character was revealed through that. But he refused He says, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care, he says. He's talking to Potiphar's wife. No one is greater in this house than I am. In other words, he says to her, you know, I have the power to have you executed. I have the power to demonstrate against you for what you're saying to me. He said, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a thing and sin against God? That was Joseph's response. Even though his refusal of her advances finally cost him position in Potiphar's home, it landed him in prison. And there in prison, Even in that difficulty, remember, adversity is there and it's essential to successful life. So he goes from being sold to slavery, jealousy, sold to slavery, put out, distanced from his father, taking life away with his father, missing his family, missing his brothers, sold into slavery in another land, totally separate in another kingdom, and here he is now in prison. You're thinking, man, this is not going the way successful life should go. You're not going up. You're still going down. And there in prison, he found strength. And of course, we see how that happens. So how adversity enhances character. Let me give you two things of how adversity can enhance character. Number one, character is strengthened by adversity. Okay? It's strengthened by adversity. Rather than destroying character, adversity actually strengthens character. There is relationship between sufferings that he has been going through and going through and will go through and the injustices that he endured that the character that Joseph manifests came to full throttle and led him 
to eventually be in the very same spot as Potiphar, the second in command to Pharaoh. The injustice at the hands of his brothers, the betrayal of the part of Potiphar's wife, and the years in Egyptian prison have only strengthened and developed him in the character that allows Joseph to carry the weighty responsibilities of the Egyptian economic strategies that's going to save Canaan and Egypt and all the other neighboring nations. And so when you're tempted to use the things that have happened to you as an excuse for failure, remember God may just try, be trying to orchestrate it so that it's no longer a failure, it's now becoming a success. You need not remember the experiences that are evil. Remember the experiences that are good and go back to look at Joseph. You might remember the name of John Bunyan, the English Baptist preacher who spent 12 years in Bedford's prison. It was a direct result of those years of imprisonment that he was able to bless the whole world with that wonderful writing of the Pilgrim's Progress. And yet you might remember Beethoven, whose life was anything but easy. He grew up with a drunken father in the midst of poverty. Deafness set in upon him at 29 years of age. And by the time he was 59, he could communicate only by writing. But in spite of all those adversities, he composed the musical masterpieces that still bless others today. Adversity is not the enemy of success. We often need to see it as the friend of success. A second truth of how adversity enhances character, number two, is that God can work through adversity to promote that success. That God can work through that adversity to promote the success. The theological term we use for this is providence. Okay? The word providence. Providence is the divine activity by which God overrules. This is where the message comes to life. Uh-oh, we are at the dinner table. Dessert may melt now. All right, this is where God overrules the things that happen in our lives that are evil to make them turn out for good. Now, this is the exciting part. This is what should, should stir within you and I to cause it to be a hallelujah moment. God overrules, listen to me, he overrules things in our life so that success happens. Let me give you an example. Satan is lurking around. Got him. I got him where I want him. He's going to be nailed to a cross. I'm going to put him to death. I'm going to seal him in a tomb. And Jesus is going to be gone. God overrules it. Amen. He removes the tomb. And he says, come forth, Jesus. Just as Jesus said to Lazarus, he overruled death. He overruled hell. He overruled sin. And he gives life. And so he jumps into Joseph's life and he overrules whatever there was that was, that was evil against Joseph. He overrules it. And he says, I'm going to make this a successful experience of your life. In fact, I'm going to bring salvation to the entire people and to a entire nation. Overruling. Thank God for the overruling of the greatest judge in this world, in this universe. And yet here, God can work through that adversity to promote that success. It is the divine activity in Joseph's life as it is divine activity in your life. 
There's no better example of this in all of Scripture than the life of Joseph. While the brothers of Joseph meant to do harm, it would sold him and tried to get rid of him, God overruled those intentions, and he brought good. The deed of hate actually turned out to be a powerful world of blessing. But it put Joseph in a place where God put Joseph in a place where God could use him to become the physical, loosely savior for the land of Egypt. And Jacob, his brothers, his dad, the cattle, everything they owned, he spared them all. He would have never been able to become Pharaoh's counselor if it wouldn't have been for the accusations of Potiphar's wife that put him into prison. Because in prison, he was able to have dreams and he was able to interpret dreams. And, jo and Pharaoh was having this difficult dream. And so Joseph was brought before Pharaoh. He counseled with Pharaoh and he solved his problems because God gave him the interpretation. Again, overruled what Potiphar's wife had against him. Overruled Potiphar. Overruled the brothers. Overruled the evil. Overruled the jealousy. God overruled all those circumstances and brought about success in Joseph's life and all the while was developing this wonderful character where Joseph could stand before the brothers and say, I love you with all my heart. I'm not here with anger. I'm not here with any animosity. I'm not here to, to get even with you. I'm just glad God brought you back into my life. Even though it's been so long, go get dad, go get all the family. Bring me the best. Bring me everything you got. Even bring old, old, old Sue from the cattle barn. I want to see the cattle. I want to see the sheep. I want to see the dogs. I want to see everything we had. Bring them all to Egypt. And he begins to hug Benjamin, kisses Benjamin, Benjamin kisses him back as a brother and they all, and he goes one by one and he offers them love and he offers them appreciation. He offers them affirmation and he kisses every one of his brothers before they go back to get daddy. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father to Joseph was at work overruling the whole circumstance for the good of Joseph and the remnant of Israel. The remnant of Israel. And without that remnant, Israel would have faded. And with that fading would have never happened. The world would have never had to experience the Christ because Christ came from the remnant. He would have never been able to save his family from the crisis of, the fa of that famine if he had not been in Pharaoh's house. He would have never been able to be in Pharaoh's house if it had not been for the Egyptian prison. God was at work overruling to bring about success that he had promised to Joseph. We're always faced with that same temptation to make a judgment about adversities that come upon us and live in the excuse that I cannot be who I'm supposed to be because I've been given a bum rap. God is at the overruling business of our lives. And yet, instead of leaping to the quick conclusion that it's going to keep me from ever realizing my dreams, wait it out. Who knows? God may be at work even now moving you to the fulfillment of the deepest 
and grandest dream of your life. The thing that happens to us that appears at the time to be unjust and evil will not be able to prevent us from achieving success. The thing that may keep us from achieving the success is making the wrong response to the adversity that comes our way. And so here, if we respond to this adversity in anger or respond in bitterness and allow our lives to be full of resentment, it may well keep us from ever knowing success. So if we respond to the adversity with the steadfastness, with the confidence in God, that God who governs this world has the power to overrule anything in this world, to make the adversity a stepping stone to success, then we will finally see God at work, as Joseph did. So character is revealed in, in is developed in adversity, essential for successful life, and yet that, that adversity enhances the character. Character is revealed in this adversity. Character is strengthened in this adversity. And yet, as we look at more about this truth of adversity, I want us to think about not only character developed in adversity and essential successful life, but God can work through that, that adversity to promote the success. Now, I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I think that's nauseatingly sickening and spiritually uh, from, from straight from the pits of hell. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about God taking the broken life and the surrendered life and the yielded life who is right before God and they have been brought down and reduced to nothingness and reach up to God and say, God, I cannot do this. I cannot in my earthly mind fathom how this is going to turn out. I cannot see success because of this difficulty of my life. But we get to that point and say, because I can't see it, I know that you can. And therefore, I'm giving you my life and I'm asking you to remold me, remake me into the servant and to the person that you have called me to be and to improve upon the very things that I have suppressed and to draw out within me the creative environment that you have created within me spiritually to draw that out so that I can become the man and woman or man or woman that you have called me to be. So understand adversity can be very exciting because God's at a place to where he's ready as a judge in a chamber to bring down that gavel and says, I overrule the evil in your life for what was meant for evil against you I will turn it out for good. Genesis 50 is the conclusion of the story as well as the conclusion of the message. In verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, now things happened. They went and got Joseph. 
And, and I mean, get, went and got the father, realized now life's coming to an end. And now dad is deceased. They said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the wrong we caused him. Now listen, listen at the selfish childishness of the brothers. We probably sometimes deal with the same thing. All right, they saw saw the true character of Joseph. They saw the passion in Joseph. They saw the compassion of Joseph. They had been kissed by their brother. They had been embraced by their brother. They have stood before their brother and saw love coming out from all corners of his life. And now dad dies. And they huddle up together and say, you know, this guy's faking it. He just did it for dad's sake. Because if he's holding a grudge, he's going to now come at us. That's guilt. That's the sin of entrapment that has stayed within these brothers that they have not confessed. They have not found deliverance from their sin. They've stayed in their sin and they've not given it to God. And they can't find freedom. They have not known the truth because that truth has not set them free yet. And they're standing there actually saying now, he faked all this and we're doomed. Dad's gone and now he's going to repay us. So they sent the message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph. Please forgive your brothers transgressions and their sin, the wrong they caused you. They're making up things. They're scared to death. Therefore, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when their message came to him. And then his brothers also came to him, bowed down before them and said, we are your slaves. But Joseph said, don't be afraid. He said, you're no longer, you'll never be considered a hired slave in my household. In fact, get the best robe and put it on these guys. Put the best sandals on their feet and kill the fatted calf because my brothers who were dead is now alive again. They have left me and now they're home. Wow. Don't be afraid, he says. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. Yes, he's recognizing. He's not denying it. He's not saying, hey, uh, you know, hey, you had a bad day and and it took it out on me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result. And the present result was not just the survival of Joseph and to make him look good or the survival of the brothers. It was the survival of many people. And we know it encompasses all the nations around Egypt because Egypt fed all those nations during this seven-year famine because of Joseph's vision, the vision that God gave him. Therefore, do not be afraid. I will take care of you and your little ones. And he confronted, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Wow. In his book, Life Changes, James Heffley cites the example by Dr. A.J. Cronin. He had a a thriving and well-paying medical practice in London when he began having these severe attacks in his stomach, and it was from just severe indigestion. And he consulted a colleague and went through testing, and they determined 
that his problem was that he had chronic ulcers and that he needed immediate, complete rest from his practice and to take care of himself. Well, Dr. Cronin had long had a very strange urge to be a writer. He took his family to a cottage in the midst of all the green meadows sheltered with this wild grandeur of mountains, and then he wrote his first novel called The Citadel. It was translated in 21 languages, and yet 3 million copies were sold, serialized, dramatized, and yet filmed in a movie. His illness marked the beginning of one of the greatest literary careers of the 20th century. Who knows? If he had not had a stomach ulcer, he may have never written one book. Don't give up on God too quick. Adversity may be the stepping stone and not the death to your success. So I ask you, how about your situation or your life situation today? Are you facing adversity? And could it be God grooming you for a greater success? All of us have those things. We question, why has this happened? But yet instead, what, God, are you overruling in my life so that my character is more in line with yours? Instead of seeing the negative, see the positive. God is at work, working out the details of all our salvation and will complete it one day. And in the process, he's still working. Thanks be unto God, he's still working on me and he's still working on you. We're going to blow it from time to time. We're going to disappoint one another from time to time. Our sin may rise up and bite us from time to time. But with the help that we have of the family of people called the family of God. When we fall, we help one another to see where we need to improve and to focus back where we need to focus and learn from the mistake so that we become the better person and our character is stronger and stronger, matching the image and character of God. Thanks be unto God for the grooming process and thanks be unto God for you and I who help us get groomed and find that success. So don't give up if you're facing something difficult today or you're facing pain or all you can see is your four walls and you can't see the sunshine. Don't give up. Look to God and say, God, I'm waiting for the overruling. I'm excited when I hear you overruled whatever it is and brought about success. Whatever is meant for evil, God can turn it around for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. As a believer, you are called to that purpose. And he wants you to be successful in character and in development to serve the greater kingdom as the remnant that he's called us to be. Thanks be unto God for his work. Father, I thank you that today you have granted to us the remembrance of a wonderful, powerful story from the very beginning of time, how you took what looked like the worst possible scenario 
in one man's life turned out to be the beautiful spiritual understanding of what would be epitomized and seen and experienced in Christ our Lord through deliverance and salvation. How you have turned what looked like evil and you turned it for the good. And we see it again vividly, beautifully given to us through Scripture, through sight, through sound, through our faith in that of a cross that looked like the end and the greatest evil that has accomplished, has been accomplished, and how you turn that into the good. And you brought about salvation to an entire world for each of us to have opportunity to accept or reject. And I pray today that everyone who hears this message and for everyone who hasn't even thought about Jesus in a while will accept who you are. Accept the fact that you love them. Accept the fact that you are grooming each of us to be a person who loves you and are called to fulfill a purpose. Thank you, God, for being the God that you are. In your name that we pray. Amen. Listen to our song this morning as we, you know, we've, we've probably a familiar song of, of what God can do in our life. You've, you will rejoice, I'm sure, in it. But think about where God, where you are, and what God wants to do with who you are. Because God is a God who's not into defeat. He's into success. Amen. There's a place I've come to know Though my heart and flesh may fail There's an anchor for my soul I can say it is well Jesus has overcome And grace
come forward this morning. I want you to think about something. And I wanted to be above them because I knew they were coming. And uh, as, you, as you think about communion today, I want you to think about it in a different way. Now, not that the communion has changed its meaning. Don't hear that. When we break the bread and you're handed a piece of bread today, and that bread is then placed into that cup, this is, this is what you're saying to God. God, you have overruled something in my life. You have taken all of the, the, the crud and the gook that was keeping me from experiencing life as you intended it to be. And when I take a piece of your body and I dip it into this cup, I am exclaiming in the greatness of who you are, that my character is different because of spiritual deliverance that I find in Jesus through his body and his blood. The body of Christ is broken for you. The blood of Christ that's poured out for you. Two elements, separate, bread and wine, bread and juice, put together <coughs> equals deliverance. And our gratitude, our gratefulness is saying to God, I recognize the power of you overruling things in my life. I recognize that you have changed me. And I'm going to live for you. And whatever comes my way, I know that you're Lord over that. Whatever it is, the pains, the discouragements, the difficulties, the questioning, the point in our life, my life where we don't know what, which way to turn, don't have an answer for. And yet today we celebrate what God is Lord over. If God can take an entire nation and bring them back to full glory, can he do that with your life individually and mine? Absolutely. Thanks be unto God for the evil that we were facing and the condemnation we were given and for the destruction because of the sin in our life that was ours. The judge stepped forward, threw down the gavel, and said, overruled. You are alive because of me. Let's celebrate that aliveness by taking communion together. We'll start from the back, move to the front, and serve ourselves, head back to the aisles. The deacons will place the bread in your hand. You'll get a squirt of sanitizer to clean you up before you come. 
So come, let's celebrate communion and celebrate Jesus. Amen. is why.